Uh, last year, my wife and I went uh, to watch a movie. We don't go watch too many movies every once in a while. We, we like to, to go to the matinees because it's cheaper. Uh, but then I discovered I don't have to go to the matinees. They somehow automatically give me the senior discount. I don't even, don't even ask for it. So that's, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But it is a discount. So we went to watch a movie last year titled The Case for Christ. And this movie was uh, and is a true story of a man named Lee Strobel, who was, uh, uh, several years ago, he was an award-winning journalist, reporter at the Chicago Tribune. And Lee Strobel was an atheist, didn't believe in God, and, uh, but he was an up-and-coming journalist, was winning many awards. But what happened is that even though he was an atheist, very strong atheist, his wife became a Christian, against his wishes, obviously. His wife decided to follow Jesus. God saved her. She was changed. She became a totally different person, and he hated it. In fact, it, it caused a lot of conflict in their marriage. And the, in the movie, the, the conflict comes out. Do a good job of showing this, this conflict. And uh, so he was very angry, and he decided that he was going to, using his journalistic skills, to disprove the resurrection. He was going to investigate the resurrection using the same techniques that he would normally use when he would investigate a story. And he was going to prove to his wife that the resurrection was not true, it was a lie, and that, and that Jesus was not divine. He was not the Son of God. He hadn't died and come back to life. So for two years, he interviewed People. He interviewed experts, he interviewed scholars, he read books. He, he simply, as he was taught to do, he followed the evidence. And as he followed the evidence, when he came to the end of his investigation, he was very mad and he was very frustrated because his investigation showed and the evidence showed that there was a man named Jesus who died and who came back to life. He tried to disprove it and he ended up proving the fact of the resurrection. He couldn't deny the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And so he ended up believing himself. He became convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And he ended up committing his life to Jesus. And he's a Christian. He's a follower of Christ to this day. He lives in Houston now. He went from Chicago. He moved to, after he became a Christian, he was there for a while. And then he moved to California. Now he is in Houston and he's still a follower of Christ. In fact, this movie is now on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, look it up. It's a great movie. It's called The Case for Christ. Now when we, like Lee Strobel, when we accept the reality of the resurrection, there are some things that come alive to us. There are some things that become true. There are some benefits of the resurrection that become available for us today. Because Jesus didn't just walk out of that tomb for His own benefit. He didn't die for Himself. He, he didn't need to die for Himself. He, he, he was perfect. He was sinless. He didn't die for His own sins. He had none. So He didn't die for Himself. And He didn't come back to life for Himself for His own benefit. He came back to life for us. For our benefit. So, I want to talk to you about... The benefits of the resurrection. What are the benefits of the resurrection? And I'm going to give you three. There are many. There are many. But I won't keep you here to cover all the benefits of the resurrection. I'm just going to mention three. First of all, because of the resurrection of Jesus, 
we now have great purpose for our lives. We have a great purpose for our lives. One of the most important things that we have to know in life is our purpose. One of the most important things you need to know in life is what is your purpose. If you don't ever figure out why you're on earth, why you're here, you're going to waste your life. If you don't know why you're here, then you're going to go through life and, and you end up wasting your life. Many years ago, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And the, the new edition of the book is called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And that book, other than the Bible, which the Bible is by far the best-selling book, but other than the Bible, that book ended up being the, the best-selling book in all the world. It, it's been translated into many different languages. And as I said, it came out with a new title a couple of years ago, but it's basically the same book expanded in, in some areas. Why did so many people buy that book? Because I think people are looking for a purpose for their lives. A lot of people are, are looking and are asking the question, what's, what's the reason that I'm here? What's the reason that I'm even alive? Now, some people try to figure out their purpose in life by what we call speculation. They speculate. You can speculate, yeah, and that just means to guess. Some people just try to guess what their purpose in life is. And, and we could do the same thing. We could ask all the great questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Does my life have any meaning? Does my life have any significance? Where am I headed in, in life? But the bottom line is we can ask those questions and try to answer them. But we would only be guessing. If we're just trying to find out ourselves, we'd only be guessing. And, and your guess is as good as mine. It's just speculation. It's just guessing. You're never going to find your true purpose in life by just guessing about it. It's much more important than that. Another way that people try to discover their purpose is, is not by speculation, but by imagination. By imagination. That, that means that they basically make up their own purpose. They imagine something. Oh, that sounds good. I guess I'll go that route. I guess I'll, I'll do that. They imagine what life could be, and, and a lot of times people become confused because they have a measure of success, maybe in their career, maybe they have a good job, and they're able to, to buy a house and a car, and you know things are going well, and they confuse that success with their purpose. Well, I guess this is what I was meant to do, to work at this job, because look, I have, I have uh, an abundance of possessions. I have a house, I have a couple of cars. I have a dog, 2.3 kids, you know, so I guess this means I'm, I'm doing okay, and they think that's their purpose, but uh, that's just imagination. They're just imagining based on the, whatever success they might have had. So some people use speculation, others use imagination, and still others use introspection. Introspection is they look within themselves. They look within. Some people say that, right? They give that advice. Just look within yourself. Just be true to yourself. doesn't matter what anybody else says. You just got to make yourself happy. Right? Just forget about everybody else. As long as you're happy, look within yourself. But the only problem with that is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, if I look inside of me, I just see a mess. If I see inside of me, I see a lot of mistakes, a lot of confusion, 
And uh, I don't get any clarity by looking inside myself. I need something bigger than me. I need something beyond my understanding. My understanding is limited. My understanding is, is very basic. And uh, I need something bigger than me. The bottom line is you can't tell yourself what your purpose is because you didn't create yourself. Because you didn't create yourself, you don't know your purpose. I was online yesterday looking up and some unusual products. It's funny, some, you know, what some people create, what they invent, I should say. They invent some really weird products. Did you know that it's been probably 200 years ago, somebody invented a dimple maker? It was like this drill that you would try to make a dimple, you know, just. And, uh, of course, you know, there are so many weird things like that. And, and even today, they're for sale. I saw a lot of weird things for sale when I was looking at, at this yesterday. And some of them, you can't even tell what they are. I looked at some things. I thought, what, what, what even is this? Can't tell. You know, when we have mechanical objects or whatever that we've never seen, and we say, what do you think the purpose is? I mean, we would have to guess. We'd have to guess or we'd have to make up, like imagine, oh, I guess it's for this. Or we could ask the inventor and look up the, the owner's manual. I mean, if we talk to the inventor, the inventor can tell us, here's the reason I made this, this product. And if he has an owner's manual, the manual would tell us as well. If you do those two things, talk to the inventor or look up the owner's manual, he can find the purpose of, of whatever it is that's confusing you. And I think the same is true for our lives. The only way we're ever going to know our purpose in life is to talk to the Creator to talk to God. What is God's purpose for us? And read the owner's manual. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the owner's manual. That's where we find the purpose for our lives. Now, if you're wondering, okay, this is all good, but what does this have to do with Easter? I'm about to tell you. Now, I want you to, to go with me to 2 Corinthians 5.15. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he, speaking of Jesus, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a resurrection. Now, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So there it is. The owner's manual, the Bible, tells us that God's purpose for us is to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for Him who died and was raised again. And you can try to live differently. You can try to live for yourself, but you won't find peace for your soul and you won't find satisfaction for your life unless you live according to the great purpose that Jesus has for your life. And because of the, of the resurrection, we now have a great purpose for our lives. Now, there's another benefit of the resurrection, and that's this. We, we now have a great power for our lives. Because of the resurrection, we have a great purpose, but we also have a great power for our lives. And Easter demonstrated the power of God. I mean, there's no greater power, no greater power than to raise someone from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was a most powerful event in history. And here's the neat thing about this. And, and Bethany mentioned this this morning. 
that this power is available to you today. This power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you know that it takes quite a bit of power to raise somebody from the dead? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you today. It's available to us today. Ephesians 1, 19 reads like this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor in God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then to the Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.14, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead and He will raise us also. So this same power is for us as well. Now, we can talk about our resurrection and we know that if we die in Christ, we will be raised to new life again. We'll be raised again. But I want to talk uh, something a little more personal and a little, a little more, uh, not just personal, but current for us today. And I want to ask you, where do you need a resurrection in your life? Now, that, this is a personal, personal question with very personal answers. So uh, I'm not expecting you to answer me out loud, but I want you to think. Where do you need a resurrection in your life? Maybe another way to ask this is, what's dying in your life? What's dying or what's dead and, and you know it's dead and, and you need God's power to bring it back to life? Where do you need a resurrection this year? Where do you need God's resurrection power? Maybe some of you are in marriages that are dying. Maybe you're in a marriage that's going south real fast. And, or maybe you're in a marriage that's already, it's already died. I mean, you're just living together, but there's no marriage anymore. You need a resurrection in your marriage. Maybe you need a resurrection in a relationship that at one time was strong and was vibrant. And, and now it's dying or it's dead. You don't even talk to each other. Maybe you're estranged from someone. Maybe you need a resurrection in your health. And your physical health or your emotional or mental health. You had, at one time you had good health. But now you're in bad health. You're in ill health. And you need a resurrection of your good health once again. Maybe some of you here today need a resurrection in your finances. Or in your career. Or in your dreams. You had dreams for your life. And then life happened to you, right? I mean, life happens and things get rough. And all of a sudden the dreams you had. I mean, they're gone and you just need a resurrection in your dreams. Let me tell you today that if God can raise, if he can resurrect a dead Jesus, he can resurrect your marriage. He can resurrect your relationships, your health, your finances, your career, your dreams. He can do this. Jesus is telling us today that the same power that the father used to raise me, Jesus is saying, to raise me from the dead, the same power can be yours today as well. If you'll plug in to me, that's a condition. Jesus says, if you'll plug in to me, if you'll turn your life over to me, then you can discover the same power. Because we only have resurrection power through Jesus. See, we were never designed to have power on our own for all our lives. We weren't made that way. Our power runs out. Ever notice that? 
Our power runs out, our energy runs out, our love runs out. It does. My wife and I have been married now for over 35 years. And one thing I've learned is that our love for each other runs out. We have to keep falling in love all over again. We have to keep asking God to help us. Because if if we don't think about it and work at it, love runs out. It dries out. So you have to keep renewing, keep falling in love. Because we we weren't designed to have power on our own for all our lives or to have love on our own for all our lives. We need God's power. And we only have resurrection power through Jesus. I was preaching a sermon apparently similar to this many years ago. I remember that I used a real simple illustration to prove the same point in that sermon that we needed to be plugged into Jesus. And it was a little more involved in that, but the simple part of it was just we need to be plugged into Jesus. And so I, I did a little illustration. I used two different items. I had a radio and I had a lamp. And um, I just simply, my, my point was simply that our lives don't work when we're not plugged into Jesus. And I think I was talking about daily devotions, plugging into Jesus every day and so on. No Jesus, no power, right? We've got to plug into Jesus if we want power in our lives. So that was a simple illustration. I even practiced it. I, I plugged in the radio, turned it on. See, there's power. Unplugged it. See, there's no power. No, no Jesus, you know, no power. And I did the same thing with a lamp. And so I practiced it. When I preached the sermon, I picked up the lamp, and it wasn't plugged in. And I said, see what happens when it's not plugged in? I, I turned it on. It didn't work. Picked up the radio. It wasn't plugged in. And I said, see what happens when you don't plug into Jesus? I turned the radio on, and it worked. I was like, in the middle of the sermon, I said, hey, who put batteries in my radio? I had this ready to go. Somebody put batteries between the time that I practiced it and the time that I preached it. So I was like, okay, folks, uh, just remember... Uh, we only have resurrection power when we plug into Jesus. There are no batteries. There's no other way. We only have it through Jesus. And so, because of the resurrection, we have uh, a great purpose for our lives. And because of the resurrection, we have a great power for our lives. And then thirdly, because of the resurrection, we have a great place reserved for us after we die. We have a great purpose, we have a great power, and we have a great place reserved for us for when we die. And we learn this from the resurrection of Jesus. We learn from the fact that He came back to life that death for Him was not the end. And death for us is not the end. There's more to life than the here and now. We learn from the resurrection that death is not the end. Now, we're all going to die someday. One day, your heart is going to stop. One day, that's going to be the end of, of your body. But that won't be the end of you. Because you were made to last forever. You were made to live forever. And God says, I prove that there's life after death by raising my own son. Death is not the end. Jesus went to see Mary and Martha because their brother, Lazarus, had died a few days earlier. They, they called for him. He eventually got there. And the sisters are grief-stricken. Their brother, their only brother, 
had died. Now, Jesus ended up raising him from the dead, bringing him back to life. But before he did, he did this, he spoke to Mary and Martha. And he was speaking to Martha in John eleven twenty five, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he asked this question. This is an important question. He asked her, do you believe this? So first he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you live in me, you will live even though you die. Do you believe this? Now, how do we know that Jesus was telling the truth when he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life? Because he came back to life. Because he died and he came back to life. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else has done what Jesus did. He was just not resuscitated. He was resurrected. Now, if any of you here are in the medical field, then you know how to use CPR and maybe some other techniques and tools to bring people back to life. Or maybe, you know, stop breathing and for a few seconds or minutes, you're able to bring them back to life. You've resuscitated them. But Jesus was dead for three days. And God brought him back to life. He came back to life. In a sense, he brought himself back to life because he's God. Right, so there's, there's a difference there. He wasn't just resuscitated. He was resurrected. And, and like Lee Strobel found out, and, and he's got all this documented, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most attested to miracles in history. After he came back to life, Jesus spent 40 days in Jerusalem where people saw him. They talked to him. And all this is documented. It's documented by people who didn't want to believe in Jesus, but they, they saw him. He didn't just come back to life, say goodbye to his friends, the disciples, and went up to heaven. He stuck around for 40 days. He walked around. He talked to people. At one time, he spoke to 500 people at one time. Set in one setting at one time. He, one time he ate with his disciples. I mean, there were many, many eyewitness accounts for those 40 days. And so we know that he's alive. And he's saying now, I am the res- resurrection and alive. And if you believe in me, you're going to live even after you die. Because we're made to live forever. And we can have eternal life with God or we can spend the rest of our life after death away from God. And it won't be a pleasant existence. So how do we get eternal life? How, do we, how can we assure ourselves that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus in that place that He has reserved for us? And by the way, I don't know what you think about heaven, but it's probably not what you think unless you've studied the Bible and know the Scriptures. A lot of people think, that heaven is going to be, we're going to be like floating around on clouds with harps. <laughs> that's not heaven, okay? I don't know what it is. But that's not heaven. That's not what we're made to do. Heaven is going to be a real place where we're going to, we're going to live, we're going to eat, we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to run, we're, we're going to work, we're going to have jobs. It, it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth, and, and it's, it's going to be a place where we're going to be with Jesus forever. So it's not some mythical, ethereal place out there. It's a real place. It's a new heavens and the new earth where we're going to be with Jesus. And so how do we get there? Well, it's not by being good. 
It's not by just going to church. I, I'm going to church, so I guess I'll get to heaven. It's not by promising to be perfect. It's not by giving a whole lot of money to help the poor. That's a good thing, but that doesn't get you to heaven. God says one thing. Jesus says one thing. He says, you've got to believe that Jesus will raise you back from the dead too. He asked Martha, do you believe this? In other words, to have eternal life, we have to trust Jesus as our Savior and as the only source of our hope for this life and beyond. You're never going to find ultimate hope in anything you lose. Anything that you can lose. You're not going to find ultimate hope in that. If you want to have a hope that gets you through the toughest times in your life, you have to put your hope and put your trust in something you can't lose and something that cannot be taken away from you. If you put your hope in your bank account and your money and your finances, can you lose that? Yeah, you better believe you can lose that. You could lose that with one illness that takes up all your savings and all your funds and then you're having to create a GoFundMe account because you need money. If you put your hope in your bank account, you're going to lose it. If you put your hope in your spouse, you can lose your spouse. If you put your hope in your health because you're strong right now and healthy, you can lose your health. If you, if you put your, your hope in your intellect and your smarts and your intelligence, you can lose that. You can lose your mind. You must never put your hope in something that can be taken away, that's something that, in something that you can lose. If you put your hopes in your good looks, uh, maybe you already lost them. I don't know. I don't know where that is. But maybe for you that ship has sailed. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you put your hope in your job, you could lose your job. Your job can let you down. If you put your hope in another person, they can disappoint you. Why? Because they're not God. They're not perfect. But if you put your hope in God, God will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. Not only will, will God change your life, but He'll stick around for the rest of your life. And He has a place reserved for you for your afterlife, as it were, for after you die. Hope, our hope is in God and what God has prepared for us. And hope is, not, hope is not just a product that you can buy from Amazon. Hope is not a program you, you go through. Hope is not a pill that you take at night. Hope is a person, and there's only one person that you can put that hope in, and that is in Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. He wrote this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Everybody say, great expectation. See, that's a great way to live, with expectation. We live with great expectation, and it gets better. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, Beyond the reach of change and decay. See, everything we have here on earth is within the reach of change and decay. But what we have waiting for us in heaven is beyond the, re the reach of change and decay. I've officiated many funerals. Funerals of children. Funerals of teenagers. Grown men and women. Uh, senior adults. And you can always tell when the family of the person who has passed on, has the hope of heaven through Jesus in their lives. You can tell. I can tell. Even if I don't know the family, I can tell. Okay, these people have their hope in Christ. 
They, they weep, yes. They grieve, yes. But there's always a hope that keeps them going. There's a hope of heaven. There's a hope that they will see their loved one again if their loved one died in Christ and if they are faithful to the end. A hope of a place where there will be no more pain. A place where there will be no more sorrow. No more tears. Because Jesus himself, the Bible says, will wipe every tear from our eyes. And no more death. Now, if you want to live with that kind of hope, then you're going to have to change your perspective and realize that there's more to life than this life. We can't just live for ourselves right now. It makes sense to trust our lives to the one, our lives to the one who has conquered death and who has come back to life. There is a lot of hopelessness in this world, but you don't have to live that way. Because of the resurrection, you can have a great purpose for your life. You can have a great power for your life. And you can have a great place for you in heaven. Heaven is real. It's a real place. It's a beautiful place. And we can live with that perspective in mind. So the question today is, how can you have God's purpose, God's power, and God's place for you? By trusting Him for your salvation. Ask Him to forgive your sins. Ask Him to change your life. And if you've never done that before, if you've tried to be good on your own, you found out that your goodness ran out, right? We can't even keep our New Year's resolution past two weeks. How much more can we live according to God, or less can we live according to God's standards? So, we can't do it on our own. You've tried to be good, you've tried to change you've tried to turn over a new leaf you know what it takes god's power to change you there is a this is my last story here there was a a woman who was brought to to jesus because she was caught in the act of adultery and adultery in bible times was punishable by by death so the men brought her there's a lot of questions like who caught her how do you catch somebody in adultery? And where was the guy? They just brought her. So they brought her. And uh, Jesus stopped them. Jesus told them, hey, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And they were ready to stone her to death. And they ended up leaving. But here's what happened. Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus forgave her. And then Jesus said, now go and sin no more. Now, I think about that because... It's not just a matter of saying, okay, God, I want you to forgive my sins. And then you go back and you live the same way you've been living, right? But it's also not just a matter of saying, okay, Jesus said, go sin no more, so I I better, I better be careful what I do. We don't have strength of our own. I think when Jesus was saying, go and sin no more, he was changing her heart. He was changing her life. You don't think others had told her that before? You don't think others had told her, hey, you need to get your act together. You can't be sleeping around. You know what's going to happen to you? I'm sure she had heard that before. Stop sinning. Stop being an adulteress. Stop. I'm sure she had heard that. She didn't need the condemnation. She knew. She needed the change. She needed the transformation, not the condemnation. And I believe when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. He was saying, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. And so what I'm saying to you is, You can receive God's forgiveness. That's only part of being saved. That's only part of becoming a follower of Jesus. You can receive the power of God in your life. 
to be changed, to be transformed, if you'll ask him this morning. So you may say, well, I don't even know how to do that. Well, I'm going to pray right now. And as I pray, uh, you can pray along. You don't have to say it out loud, but in your mind, if, if what I'm saying rings true for you, just say, me too, God. Me too, Lord. If you want to, as I pray, if you want to say your own words different from mine, go ahead. God doesn't get confused because you're saying something different than I'm saying. But if you need a guide for your prayer, I want you to pray with me right now. Let's bow our heads. And if you want to give your life to the Lord this morning, you want to choose to follow him the rest of your lives, full-time follower of Jesus, changed, transformed. The Bible says the old is left behind and behold, everything is made new. Then pray this in your heart with me. Let your prayer be something like this. Dear God, I don't want to go through life not knowing my purpose. Thank you, God, that my life is not just an accident. I am not a mistake. You planned me. Maybe my parents didn't plan me, but you planned me. And I thank you that you've loved me every moment of my life. And so today, I just want to know my purpose and I want to live out this purpose. This purpose of living for you and not for myself. And I want to spend the rest of my life learning to follow you. And Lord, I want the power to overcome sin. I want the power of the resurrection in my life. Because my life is falling apart. And I need your power. So today, God, I choose to stop living in my own power. And to start living by your power. And I ask you, dear God, that you would reserve a place for me in heaven. Forgive my sins. Change my life. Make me into a new person. Make me into a new person. I want to smile again, Father. I want to laugh again. I want to live in your purpose with your power for your place. And I ask that you would touch me right now and change me. In Jesus' name, amen.